Hi, this is Thurman Hayes, pastor of First Baptist Church of Suffolk, Virginia. We want to welcome you to this message from our services at First Baptist. We are a congregation that is seeking to touch lives through the life-changing power of the gospel. I pray that you'll encounter Christ in his power and love even now as you listen. We're talking about that very thing uh, today. We're talking about prayer. We're talking about getting on our knees. Luke chapter 18. Luke 18. We are in the midst of a study of ten parables in the Gospel of Luke. We're calling the series, Where Are You in the Story? These stories that Jesus tells, are they're about us. We're in these stories. And this is actually the second parable in this series that we've looked at where Jesus is talking about the subject of prayer. It's one of his favorite subjects. He returns to it again and again. We looked a few weeks ago at the parable of the friend at midnight, which was all about prayer. And today we're looking at a parable that's sometimes called the parable of the persistent widow. And again, it's about prayer. It's really about how God feels about the prayers of his children. Let's talk about that. Luke chapter 18, and we're going to look this morning at verses 1 through 8. So follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. And Jesus told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. He said, in a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. And the Lord said, hear what the unrighteous judge says. And will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay long over them? I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Father, we pray that you would help us now to understand your word and apply it to our lives. Lord, we, we pray that, um, that Your Word would take root deep in our hearts, and Lord, that it would work its way out into our living. And Father, as we think about just one of the most vital aspects of our Christian lives, which is, is prayer, it's so important that when we come before You that we, we understand how You feel about the prayers of your children. So Lord, uh, teach us now through your word. Speak to us in the power of your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. One day in the spring of uh, 1998, I was, uh, I was reading the paper and I saw an, an announcement of the grand opening of a, a local business. And in the announcement, that they, they mentioned that, that Brooks Robinson was going to be there, the famous third baseman for the Orioles, one of the greatest third basemen of all time, uh, one of my heroes. And so uh, I wanted to meet him. And so uh, Caleb, who was two years old at the time, it's never too early for a, a young guy to start liking baseball. And so scooped him up and, uh, and, and took him with me. And, you know, I, I've never, I've always been kind of, um, 
well, a little bit reluctant to 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 take up the time of celebrities. I don't want I don't want to impose. I'm, I'm not much of an aggressive autograph hound or, or anything like that. Um, in fact, I remember Melissa kind of coaxed me to even take something for him to sign um, that day. But I figured, yeah, it's going to be a line of people and just. You know, he's just not going to have, have much time for us or anything like that. We'll, we'll get like very meager personal attention and just kind of be you know, shuffled right on through. Well, couldn't have been any more wrong. Uh, Brooks Robinson, just, uh, just a great down-to-earth guy uh, from Arkansas. We, 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 we walked up to, to where he was and uh, he couldn't have been any warmer. He was so warm, welcoming, uh, uh, kind. He wanted to know all about Caleb and how old he was and, and, and all of that. But I didn't ha- even have to ask him to sign the, the baseball that I had. You know, he said, hey, can I sign that for you? And he not, didn't just write his name, wrote like a personal inscription to my son. And, and, uh, and then he said, you want a picture, you know? And he came out from behind where he was sitting and uh, just put his, put his arms around us and, and somebody snapped a photograph and you know, we, we made a great memory. And, um, you know, I, I learned something that day about, about false assumptions. Because I assume that because this guy was a celebrity, you know, that uh, he wasn't going to pay a whole lot of, of, of attention to us, that, you know, we would get very little personal attention. I wonder how many people make that false assumption about God. And after all, God's got a whole universe to, to deal with? Can, can God really be preoccupied with, with our problems and with our needs? This parable is a parable that, that really addresses that question. It's really about how God feels about the prayers of his, his children. Let's kind of break it down and, and look at, at the characters in this story. Enter the first character, a desperate widow. And we see in verses 2 and 3 that Jesus says in a certain city, there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. And there was a widow in that city who kept coming to him and saying, give me justice against my adversary. Now, when you picture this widow in your mind, you may picture a, a woman who is older um, that wasn't necessarily the case, probably wasn't the case, because uh, women in first century Middle Eastern culture, they married when, well, when they weren't women at all. They were usually in their young, early teens when they got married. And the life expectancy for men was nothing like it is today. So it's very likely that she still could have been um, quite young. We don't know, know what age she was, though, but what we do know is that widows in this culture were the most, they were the most vulnerable, vulnerable adults um, in that culture uh, by far. The, the different kinds of you know, social, the social safety net that we think of today, uh, you know, and, uh, life insurance and survivor's benefits, things like that just did not exist in that culture. So, so widows were just in an incredibly vulnerable position, even under normal circumstances, but in this particular case, we know that this widow was especially vulnerable because she goes before the court and she pleads her own case, which is something that a, a, a woman in that culture would have never done unless there was no significant male in her life to sort of represent her. So we know in, in the case of this, of this widow, there is no father in the picture, 
There's no brother in the picture. You know, there's no um, uncle or son in the picture. She is just, just utterly alone in life. In just this incredibly vulnerable position. And to make matters worse, Jesus says that she has an adversary. Now, he doesn't tell us what kind of adversary it was, but, but, but someone is, uh, is, 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 is bothering her. There's an injustice that has been done to her. It may very well have been uh, something to do with, uh, with her husband's passing away and, and his estate, that maybe somebody is trying to, to rip her off, and in which case she would have been left completely destitute. Maybe, maybe someone is trying to, to sexually harass her. We don't know exactly what was going on, but there is, there's an, an adversary. There's, there's an injustice that is being done. And all she can do, she has, she has no significant male really to come alongside her, uh, to be an advocate, to help to protect her. All she can do is, is, is just go before the local court, and plead her case to the local judge. And what kind of a guy is he? (laughs) Well, we meet him next. Enter the second character, an unjust judge. Look at verse 2 again. Jesus says, In a certain city there was a judge who neither feared God nor respected man. This guy doesn't worry about standing before God one day. He doesn't worry about God punishing him for anything in this life or the next because he doesn't believe in God. He's an an atheist. There is absolutely no fear whatsoever of of, of God. And as Dostoevsky once said, if there is no God, all things are permissible. Where does that lead? Where where does that lead? We've seen in the last hundred years or so where that, that leads. That leads to Auschwitz. You know, that, that leads to the killing fields of Cambodia. That leads to Newtown, Connecticut. That leads to the Soviet gulag. Richard Wormbrand, who was a Romanian pastor uh, who was horribly tortured for his faith in Christ, wrote a book called uh, Tortured for Christ. Wormbrand said this about his, uh, the, the communist guards who would torture him. He said, the communist torturers often said, said, they said to me as they were torturing me, there is no God, no hereafter, no punishment for evil. We can do what we wish. And that was the case with this guy. He didn't believe in God. There's no fear of God. Jesus says he doesn't fear God and what else? He doesn't respect man. He doesn't care about people. This guy has no ethic beyond his own self-interest. People to him are just objects to be used or trampled upon to get whatever he wants. Kenneth Bailey, in his book, Jesus Through Middle Eastern Eyes, talks about the fact that that you know, first century Middle Eastern culture and even Middle Eastern culture today, really, it's it's a it's a it's a a shame honor type of society where everybody, you want to save face. I mean, above everything else, you don't want to look bad. You want to, you want to save face. And so there were certain social mores that would, 
sort of guide the way that, that would prevent certain terrible things from happening, especially to someone as vulnerable as, a, as a, a helpless widow like this woman. We have something like that in our culture a little bit where, you know, the expression, you don't kick somebody when they're down. But the normal rules don't apply to this judge because he doesn't care about people. He doesn't care. He's just sort of a loose cannon just firing you know, wherever he wants, and, 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 and people are just objects to him. I mean, the normal standards of decency just don't apply. It's kind of like in those, um, those hearings in the 1950s with Joseph McCarthy and that, that famous, that famous uh, uh, Senate, uh, Senate hearing in which um, McCarthy was, uh, he had sort of taken on the U.S. Army by that point, and there was an Army lawyer named Joseph Welch that, uh, that McCarthy was in, interrogating, and, he, and McCarthy was just rambling, constantly interrupting and, and slandering people and just very uh, abusive until finally this guy just says to him, Sir, have you no sense of decency? Is, has all sense of decency left you? Well, well, the answer in this case was, yeah, that's exactly the way this guy was. There's, a, there's no sense of decency. He doesn't fear God. He doesn't care about people. And the only shot that this widow has of getting justice from him would have been to bribe him. And she doesn't have any means of doing that. He laughed her right out of his courtroom. Well, end of the story? No, not really. (laughs) Because she's going to play the one card that she has. And that is persistence. She keeps coming. She's relentless. Look at verse 3. There was a widow in that city who kept coming to him. And, and, and the phrase here, really, it, it's, it's clear that her, her continual coming was not limited to multiple appearances in that courtroom. No. He would walk outside of the courtroom. She's there. <laughs> he would walk outside of his house. She's there. He would go out to dinner with his cronies. She's there. He would walk down the street. She's dogging at his heel. She's like a little terrier who just keeps coming. And he'll knock her away and she just keeps coming back until finally, in just complete exasperation, he gives in. Verses 4 and 5. For a while he refused, but afterward he said to himself, Though I neither fear God nor respect man, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. That phrase, beat me down, literally means blacken my eye. In other words, he, he's saying, look, you, you've, you're making my life miserable. You're beating me down. You're blackening my eye. Enough of you. Here, here's what, take what you want. Here, here's justice. And he gives it to her. Now, there is a terrible interpretation of this parable. This is a parable that has really suffered from some terrible interpretation through the years. And, and that's because a lot of people read this and they treat it like a straight allegory. 
in which every character uh, represents someone else. And if you treat it like that, um, then, you know, they, what they, people say, well, okay, we're like the widow, and God is like that judge, and if we'll just bother him enough and pester him enough, then he may answer our prayers. Um, that's not it. <laughs> that's not the point of this parable. This parable is, is what is called a parable of contrast. It's where Jesus is contrasting opposites to make a point. And what's the point that he's making? Well, the first point is, um, as a child of God, you're not like that widow. As a child of God, you're nothing like that widow. You're the opposite of that widow. Why? Because she had nobody. She had nobody to represent her. She had no advocate. She was just utterly alone and helpless in life. Is that the position that you're in as a child of God? Far from it. Far from it. She had no connections whatsoever. As a child of God, you have the ultimate connection. John chapter 1 and verse 12 says that uh, as many as received Him, to those who believed in His name, He gave the right to become children of God. You know, the Bible says that none of us are children of God by nature, but we become children of God through adoption. When we trust in the Savior, that the Father adopts us as His own. You've trusted in Jesus as your Savior. Listen, God loves you like He loves His Son because you were united to His Son by faith. You are His beloved child, His son or daughter. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 1 says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. Parents, how much do you love your children? You know, when our, when our children were, were little, Melissa and I, would, one of our favorite books to read with them was a, a book called Guess How Much I Love You. I love that book. Because, you, you know, I would tell them over and over and over again, and still do, how much I love them, but that book is about how Sometimes as parents, we, we, we struggle to convey just how much we love them. And the book ends up by saying at the end, you know, I love you all the way to the moon and back. I mean, it's just we, we love them so much as parents. And yet our love for them is flawed. It is. It's, it's flawed because it's marred by sin. You know, we still got all this junk. We've got our... We've got our pride and, you know, and, and our, our, our selfishness and, and patience and, you know, all the things that we deal with as, as, as fallible parents. Um, but yet we, 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 love, we love our kids so much and we, de- we delight in receiving them. We, we delight in, in, in giving to them. And Jesus captures this in, in Matthew chapter 7 when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find, knock, and it will be open to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. Or which one of you, if his son asks him for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, 
will give him a serpent. If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? No. You're nothing. As a child of God, you're nothing like that widow. Your Father who loves you with a perfect love happens to run the universe. (laughs) You've got the ultimate connection in high places. There's a second point Jesus is making, and it's this. Your heavenly Father is nothing like that judge. (laughs) Your heavenly Father is nothing like that judge. Verse 5. The judge says here, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down by her continual coming. In other words, even a scoundrel like this guy gives in and gives her justice because she keeps coming to him. Now what Jesus is doing is, as he often did, he's making an argument from the lesser to the greater. Jesus is saying here that if if a lowlife like this guy, who doesn't have a compassionate bone in his body, will give her justice if she keeps coming to him, listen, how much more does a loving God delight in answering the prayers of his children. But what about the mystery of unanswered prayer? Well, first of all, we have to ask, is it really unanswered prayer? Because God God has a relationship with us. And it's not mechanical, it's a relationship, and he answers in different ways. Sometimes he says no if the request is wrong, just like we do as loving parents. Moms and dads, at times, you've had to say no because you love them, precisely because you love them. And the request is, is it's wrong, it would be harmful to them. Um, and they can't see that, but you can, just because you've lived life longer and you just have more experience and, and wisdom and things like that, and in that case, um, you, you have to say no and, and thank God that sometimes he, he does that. Sometimes he closes doors that don't need to be open because of his love for us. And oftentimes when he does that, what he's going to do is he's going to open a, a better door because he sees things that we can't see. We, we see a part of things. God sees the, the whole. You know, next week in the Daytona 500, if you watch that, you're going to hear people talking into the ears of the drivers. And uh, that's the spotter. This is the guys who are way up at the top of the stands, and, uh, and they can see what the driver can't see. The driver sees what's immediately around him, the chaos of what's immediately around him. Now, the spotter up high sees the whole the whole picture. That's the way that God is. The Bible says his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. His ways are higher than our ways. And so um, sometimes in his love he says uh, no if the request is wrong. And sometimes when he does that it's because he's going to open up something even greater. When Augustine, the great theologian, was a teenager, he was unsaved. uh, And he was blessed with a godly mother, Monica, who prayed for him for years that he would come to to Christ Um, and that had not yet happened and and she prayed that he would not leave their home in North Africa 
and go to Italy. She thought that would be the worst thing for him um, spiritually, but he did. At the age of 16, snuck away, um, sailed for uh, Rome, absolutely uh, broke her heart. And for a while in Italy, things did go from bad to worse for Augustine spiritually. But God was doing a work. God, that was all part of God breaking him and drawing him because it was in Italy that he was going to meet the very people that God, the Christians, that God was going to use to, to, to bring him to himself. And later on, when Augustine wrote his confessions, he, he, he looked back and thought about the prayers of his mother. And in reflecting on that, he, he said this. He said, And what did she beg of you, my God, with all those tears, if not that you would prevent me from sailing? But you did not do as she asked you. Instead, in the depth of your wisdom, you granted the wish that was closest to her heart. Sometimes God says no because he's going to do something greater than all we ask or imagine. Sometimes he says no, sometimes he says slow. We, you know, we live in a culture where we're used to getting everything instantly. The answers that we seek a lot of times, are just, you know, they're just a, a, a click of the remote control away or a click of a mouse away. And we're just used to you know, just kind of instant, instant information. But a relationship with God, it, it's not like, it's not like, you know, prayer is not like putting our money into a soft drink machine and God just kind of spits it out. It's not like that. It's, it's, it's a relationship. And God not only knows what we need, but he knows when we need it. And sometimes in his love and in his wisdom, he says slow. He's going to eventually, he's going to eventually give us that. Um, he's going to answer that, but in his timing, which is always perfect. Sometimes God says grow when we ask for something. Sometimes the request is right, but we're not quite right yet. We need, more, we need to grow more. Um, God wants to do some more seasoning in us. If God were to give us what we were asking for at that particular point, we wouldn't be able to handle it. And so in those situations, God says, grow. Aren't you glad that God knows what we need and when we need it? <laughs> we don't always know exactly uh, what, to, what to pray for. Um, you know, God, but God knows exactly. He knows what we need. He knows when we need it. God knows exactly when it's best to say no, when it's best to say slow, when it's best to say grow. And God knows that uh, when the request is right and the timing right is right and, and we're at that point in our lives, God knows when to say go. He knows, he knows all of that. And he can sort through all of that. And we can trust him with all of that. Now let's look at verse 8, because everything is going is to is be tied together in verse 8. Jesus says here, I tell you, he will give justice to them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? Now verse 8 seems strange at first. It's, it seems like it's almost misplaced when you first read it, because Jesus has been talking about prayer, and it seems like all of a sudden he's suddenly shifting, and he's talking about his second coming. It's not misplaced at all. It all fits together. And I'll show you how. He's been talking in this parable about justice. Justice. 
when is final justice, ultimate justice, going to come to this earth? It's when Jesus returns, right? When Christ comes again, that's when all the wrongs are going to be righted. Wrong is being done to this widow. She's suffering injustice. We live in a world where there's all kinds of injustice. When is all of that going to be corrected? When is, when is all the persecution of God's people, all, all of the injustices that we see in this world, when is that going to be made right finally when Jesus comes again? That's when the world is going to be put to rights. That's when all the wrongs are going to be righted. That, that's when, as, as, uh, as Tolkien says in The Return of the King, that's when everything sad is going to come untrue. But we look around today and we see all kinds of sadness, right? We see, we see uh, so much injustice. Uh, ju- justice just seems so, so elusive in this fallen world that all changes when, when, when Christ comes again. And, and, and we look forward to that day. We, we yearn for that day when our Savior appears. And sometimes it seems like it's, uh, it's, uh, it's such a delay, that it's such a long time. How do, we, how do we deal with that? How do, we, how do we reconcile that? Well, Peter answers that question. Peter answers that question in, in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verses 8 through 10. He says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years, and a thousand years is one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed." And we see a couple of things in that passage. Uh, first of all, um, it really, it really um, hasn't been that long in God's sight because His timetable is different than ours. And so in God's timing, it really hasn't been that long. But the reason that it's been this long is very simple. And that is the, the mercy and the patience of God in giving people the opportunity to come to Him, to repent, and giving us the opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so the issue really is not making sense of why there has been a delay in His coming. That's clear why. The issue, the real issue, is in the question that Jesus poses at the end of verse 8. What does he ask? Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on earth? The real issue that you and I need to answer is that when Jesus does come, and it could be today, Will He find us faithful? Will He find us persisting in our prayers 
and in our faith. Let's pray. Father, we want to be ready for the return of Christ. Lord, we pray that when your Son returns, that we will be found faithful. You know, that really begins when we place our trust in, in Jesus. If Christ were to return today, or if your life were to end today, and, and, and either could happen, would you be ready to stand before God? Have you trusted in the Savior? Listen, everything necessary for your salvation, for your rescue, has been done. It was done on the cross and in the resurrection. On the cross, Jesus Jesus took our sins upon Himself. He, he, he paid our sin debt. He paid it in full. And He was raised victoriously from the dead so that if you'll turn to Him today and trust Him, receive Him into your life as your Savior and Lord, there's forgiveness, total forgiveness. There's a clean slate. There's new life. There is eternal life. Would you turn to the Savior today? Trust Him. Trust Him now while you still have opportunity. He's been patient with you. He's given you this opportunity. He's given you today. Turn to Him. Trust Him. You know, if that's the cry of your heart, in just a moment we're going to sing a song of invitation. And if you're trusting in Christ as your Savior, we want to invite you in just a moment as we stand, just to step out from where you are. People will gladly make way for you. I'm going to be right here at the front. Just come share what God has done in your life today. We just want to celebrate that with you and help you in beginning your journey as a believer. Or maybe you're here today and your need is for a church family and you would want to come today and say, you know, I want to be a part of this church family. We want to invite you to come as well. If there's a need in your life today, you just want to pray with someone or you want to come just pray at this altar, it's open for you to do that. You come. So Heavenly Father, we ask you to work in our hearts in this time of decision now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing. Thanks for listening to this service at First Baptist Church. We hope you've been strengthened in your faith. We want to encourage you to visit our website at fbcsuffolk.org for more information about the church and about following Jesus. God bless you today.